0: Well, hello everybody, thank you for joining us tonight at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Hi, my name is Dave Everett, this is my wife Sherry, and we're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight on the true nature of God. And we are actually wrapping up chapter 4, which is uh, titled to Gift of Eternal Life, and we're going to be in the last section of the chapter, Living Free in Jesus. <coughs> I just want to remind you we do have a website, lighthousediscipleship.org. All of our previous Bible studies are archived there, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We even now have a podcast and whatnot and other channels. You can find those all on our website and whatnot, so you can listen to it audibly and uh, not not, uh, visually. But anyway, we have several platforms for you to hear our messages. And we're doing good, Sherry? So far. Okay. So uh, anyway, I'm just making sure we get dialed in before we get totally started. Um, and so anyway, so we do invite you to join us here tonight uh, on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. We're going to be finishing up uh, Chapter 4 and going to Chapter 5 tonight. And then on uh, uh, Wednesday nights, I mean, yeah, Wednesday nights we have a Bible study on the New You and the Holy Spirit at 6 p.m. And then we have our Sunday morning service that starts live streaming at 11.15 a.m. So anyway, um, here we are. And uh, Sherry is going to be our narrator. Uh, she reads for us. And then we will talk about it. We'll talk about living free in Jesus. That's what the title of this uh, uh, kickoff section section is for tonight. So, when you're ready, Sherry, uh, we'll go ahead.
1: All right. Most of us have not had a correct concept of being righteous, pure, and holy in the sight of, sight of God. We have not understood eternal redemption. We have thought that our spirits were less than what they really were. We have seen ourselves as being defiled and we have come before God, seeing ourselves that way. It is true that our flesh gets defiled by sin. This is the reason first John one nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we do not have to confess our sins and be forgiven after we are born again to stay saved or re-establish our relationship with God. If we did, what would happen if we missed one? What makes us think we would be able to confess every sin that we've ever committed? That thinking implies we had better keep accurate records because if we fail to confess one sin, we'll be headed straight for hell. No, 1 John 1.9 is dealing with the physical realm. A cleansing takes place when we confess our sins. It restores the quality of our fellowship with God, but our relationship is always intact. The problem with sin in believers' lives is they, are, is they are submitting themselves to Satan, giving him a legal right to dominate them. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are; to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, Romans six sixteen. What happens if you have yielded your flesh to sin? What happens if you have given Satan direct inroads into your life? How do you cope with that? You confess it and say, Father, I confess any sin and I ask forgiveness. You are not asking forgiveness to reinstate your salvation or make your spirit born again, again. Your spirit has been cleansed and born again forever. You're simply restoring your intimacy with God and kicking the devil out of your life. If we are born again, God has forgiven us all of sin, of all sin, past, present, and future. You may ask, "Brother, how could God forgive us of a sin we haven't committed yet?" Well, we better hope he can do that because when Jesus died for sins about 2000 years ago, None of our sins had been committed yet. Our born-again human spirits are forgiven of all sins and totally perfect. If we sin, we should confess our sins, but not to get saved again. Confessing our sins restores our fellowship with God, but our relationship was never broken. We will never question our worthiness to walk boldly into the throne room of grace if we understand who we are in Jesus Christ. No matter how big the problem, how terrible the sin, how grave the disease, or how strong the demon, God is there for us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8, 38 and 39.
0: Well, thank you, Sherry. I know this has been a tough chapter. Last week we dealt with, uh, in the same chapter, we dealt with uh, security of the believer. We dealt with an eternal security. The title of this chapter is God's gift of eternal life. Now, what's the importance, you know, I thought we were talking about the nature of God. Why are we talking about salvation and the security of the believer and the, 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 the night so far we're talking about First John 1, 9, uh, you know, still the connotation of can we or can we not lose our salvation? Because how you see salvation will determine how you approach God. and It will determine how you see His nature. If you are afraid that you're going to lose your salvation every time you blink your eye uh, wrong then you know, you're not going to have any security of approaching God because you're going to be always thinking you're behind. You never measure up. But if you can know that you know that you know that you're secure in your relationship with God, you can approach God, you can approach His Son of Grace with boldness in your time of need. Eternal, again, what is eternal life? That's the title of the chapter. Eternal life is... According to John 17.3, according to the words of Jesus, eternal life is having a and I'm gonna just put it in simple terms, eternal life is having a relationship with Jesus, having a relationship with God. Your relationship with God is not severed because you could have made a sin. Now your fellowship in the and remember when Adam sinned, God didn't discontinue a relationship with him. Adam hid, not God. And when you sinned it's not gonna change God's opinion of you, it's gonna change your opinion of God. And if you sow to the flesh and you sow in sin, you're gonna give an inroad to Satan to, to to pop your to eat your lunch and pop your bag. He's gonna get have an inroad in your life if you play with sin. It says in Galatians, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh, not of God, but of flesh, you'll reap corruption. Sin is still dangerous. The wages of sin is still death. Sin is still, it, sin. let me just put it bluntly, sin is still stupid. Sin is still, uh, and that's how Andrew would say it, sin is still stupid. It's still deadly. It, and we're, not, we're not winking and, and being light on sin. But we're also not being light on the blood of Jesus. Uh, Jesus became your sin and crucified. And he, took, he dealt with it once and for all. And when we sin, we need to make it right. We we if we still commit a sin, we still need to cleanse our own conscience from unrighteousness. That's what first John one nine is talking about. You know, we're married, and it's supposed to be according to and the ring and other examples. It's, it's eternal. It, I mean, it's it's forever till death do us part. And so, uh, just because we have a bad day, we have a mess up, or maybe we have God forbid, we have an argument or something. And we've had some of those, Uh, you know. We've had disagreements and we've had some, what I call, intense negotiations. (laughs) I got that from a Star Wars movie. Intense negotiations, we've had those, okay. Almost any good relationship, every once in a while you might get your feathers ruffled ruffled and whatnot. There might be some contention. But that doesn't mean the relationship's over, you know. And there's some things that both of us have done that's bad and some a little worse than bad at times, you know. Uh, but you know the relationship goes on and 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 at the same point in time we have there's times we both have had to say we're sorry, and we've had to in a sense reconcile the relationship uh, not that it was ever severed, but it did you know anytime you any time you have a conflict it does have the potential of going of wanting to destroy that relationship but you know, when God is your source and when, God, when we're, uh, God is involved in your marriage, in any relationship for that matter, you know, uh, uh, it's not going to be <coughs> easily broken. Uh, I think, uh, forget how it goes exactly, but a third cord is not easily broken. And so, uh, you know, uh, and the gothy love of God uh, will will, is, is, will forgive. And, and, and it's, uh, it, it doesn't remember sins it's done. And it's not selfish. And there's so many different things I could go on. But sin is still dangerous. But a lot of people get hung up. when we talk about grace. And we talk about uh, the security of the believer. They, they get mixed up on First uh, 1 John 1, nine. Let me just say something again, too. What's, why are we talking about this a little bit? And right in the, And we're not done talking about the nature of God. We're going to be getting into that. But there are some things that need to be resolved. We need to know that our relationship with God is secure. If you don't know your relationship with God is secure... You're always going to be questioning, am I saved or not? You should not have to question, am I saved or not saved? You should know. There, we say the all this morning, blessed assurance. There should be a, a, a blessed assurance of knowing you are saved. It's a very dark place to be if you don't even know you're saved. And like I said last week, and I'm not going to go through all that teaching. You can look at our video from last week. It's a very deep teaching. Uh, I don't teach it lightly, and, uh, but it needs to be taught at times. Because some we have come to some Christians who they've been taught wrong and they thought they committed an unpardonable sin. And they're wondering if they are saved or not. And that is a very depressing place to be. I mean, I can't even imagine not knowing if I'm saved or not. I mean, if you don't know if you're saved, there's, in one sense, there's no help. If you don't think you're saved and you don't think you can be born again... Uh, that's a very dark place. That's There's nothing worse than that. At the same point in time, you need to know that you're free and your relationship with God is secure. At the same point in time, by saying that, we're not endorsing a life of sin. Quite the contrary. And sin is still dangerous. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But, but part of this cleansing, the first John 1, 9, is, you know, let me just read that verse again. Um, I thought he, do you have it written out here? Oh, if we confess our, <coughs> excuse me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. You know, um, how did he say here? This is done with the physical realm. Our cleansing takes place when we confess our sins. It restores <coughs> the the quality of our fellowship with God. But our relationship is always intact. The problem with sin is in believers' lives is that they are submitting themselves to Satan and giving him a legal right to dominate him. I don't want to be dominated by sin. You know, there's a whole teaching on sin consciousness. Uh, Paul talks about that. I think it's in Corinthians. Uh, but he talks about sin consciousness. Joseph Prince, a uh, speaker we like, um uh, he talks a lot about sin consciousness. You know, and he 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 has, he has a very good teaching on this, a very good revelation on that, And, you know, Paul talks about a sin consciousness is an evil conscience. We're not to be conscious of our sins. We're supposed to be conscious of Jesus. Our conscience should be focused on who we are in Christ, not our sin, because we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And a sin consciousness is... Uh, Paul talks about this, and Joseph Prince brings it out his teachings. Is, a, is, a, is an is evil conscience. We I'm not here focusing on my sin. I'm here focusing on Jesus. Behold, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Behold, <coughs> what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. There's several there's several scriptures on what we're supposed to behold. That we're beholding. The Greek that means to see with the mind. There's some things that we need to be beholding. We need to be focused on. And we need to behold who we are in Christ. You know, it it says in in Corinthians, the love chapter, that love doesn't remember sin's wrong. Wrong's done. Paul says, I mean, uh, God says in Hebrews chapter 8, when he's talking about this new covenant we have with him, is that he he doesn't remember wrong's done. He says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, he he makes no mentions of wrong's done. God is not about remembering what's wrong with you. He's about remembering what's right with you in Christ Jesus. That's why we have communion. We don't do it enough. In this church, we need to do it more. But communion is a table of remembrance. Are we remembering what we've done wrong? Are we remembering what Christ has done? We're remembering his body that was broken for us and the blood of his new covenant. That's what we're remembering. That's what we need to be focused on. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, focusing on sin... um, is not going to save you because sin is the strength of <laughs> a, uh, but anyway, uh, we, I don't want I'm not here to magnify sin. I'm also gonna, I'm still gonna say sin is dangerous, sin is wrong, sin is evil. Uh, and anything that's not a faith of sin, anything that's not trusting Jesus is sin. <laughs> you know, it's not just sin is not just what you do wrong, sin is also what you don't do right, and so. Uh, and and if we if we thought we lost our salvation every time we sinned, we would be confessing all the time. There would be no peace. There would be no assurance. I mean, the best if we sin if we lost our salvation every time we sin. The best thing to do would be to to, to, to die and once we got saved, so we would go right to heaven. That would be the best option. And that's nonsense. That's not what Scripture teaches. You know. We can't salve, We can't lose our salvation so easily, like we lose a set of keys. It's not that fragile. Uh, you know, you can't earn your salvation by your performance, and you can't lose it by your performance either. At the same point in time, His grace will teach you to live a godly life. Awake to righteousness and sin not. It doesn't say sin not to become righteous. There's nothing you can do to become saved. If you can, then Jesus did nothing. If you can't, you became Lord and Jesus is not. That and that's wrong. That's Antichrist. And so at the same point in time, now that we are saved, and when we know who we are, when we know who God is and we know who we are in Him, we can then have the ability to live a godly, holy life. But living a godly life is not the goal. It's one of the byproducts, it's one of the <coughs> it's one of the results. But the goal of Christianity is not a sinless life. The goal of Christianity is a relationship with God. One of the benefits of Christianity is to live God. We believe in godliness. We believe in holiness. We believe in righteousness. But it's called the fruit of holiness. It's called the fruit of righteousness. It's not the seed. The goal is a relationship with God. And with sin, you can't have a relationship with God. And and with the sin nature I'm talking about. Because in the book of Romans, the word sin is used 47 times. Uh, 45 of those times it's a noun it's not a verb it's talking about your nature or and not your behavior now I believe there's a behavior of sin but there's also a nature of sin you're either in sin or you're in Christ you're either in the first Adam or you're in the last Adam you can't there's no either there's no other option you're either born again or you're not you're either in Christ or you're not but you need to know that you know that you know that you know, you're born again, and if you have received Jesus, if you heard the gospel, believe the gospel, and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are born again. Then the rest, the rest of your Christian life is being discipled in who you are, and part of and in and one reason we have to teach. Uh, the true nature of God because religion, Christian religion, has sometimes misconstrued who God is. And some of us, we, we see an angry God, we see a wrathful God, and we see a lot of that in the Old Testament, which we don't, we don't with the whole chapter, or almost two chapters on that in this book, because in the Old Testament, Jesus hasn't come yet. But God poured out all of His wrath <coughs> on Jesus. And if we receive Jesus, we are right with God. For he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what righteousness is. We are right with God. We are in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. Now we need to learn who we are so we can live it. But God is not finding out what's wrong with you, He's finding out what's right with you. And He does, God, see, Jesus stood before God as if He were you. And we are going to stand before God as if we are Jesus. There's an exchange. Jesus became sin. He became your simple man. And he stood before God and he was crucified. The full wrath of God came on Jesus. God's not light on sin. He poured it out on Jesus. So if God pours his wrath out on Jesus and then turns around and pours it out on you, God is unjust to Jesus. Now there is coming a day where there is a great white throne and there is a great judgment. But that judgment is going to <clears throat> be towards those who rejected Jesus. If you rejected Jesus, then you are standing before God without Jesus, and good luck, you, 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 won't, you, you won't pass the test. Either you have Jesus or you don't. Jesus is the key. But now that you have Jesus, as Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And Christ who lives in you is not going to live a sinful life. If you're living a sinful life in Christ, then you don't know who you are. And it starts with knowing who He is. Because when you know who He is, you're going to hear the gospel. And when you hear the gospel, if you believe it, receive it, you'll be saved. And it's the same way you receive Christ is the same way you walk in Him. The same way you receive Christ is the same way you live out this Christian life. And, 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 and the relationship of God will teach you how to live... A godly, moral, sinless life. And at times when you, you do mess up... See, see, John wrote this in verse John. He, he goes on to say in chapter 2, I write this so you do not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He said, I wrote this so you don't sin. I didn't write... But at the same point, if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And so, we have an advocate. Jesus died for me. And he's my advocate. And he... His blood is proof enough. His blood is proof enough that He's my propitiation. He's my substitute. And now, God, now I get the, 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 to to enjoy the benefits of righteousness. That's what God's nature is, is, is about. Because now I have eternal life. And because I have eternal life. It's eternal life. See, most of us uh, and our our natural minds can't wrap around that phrase "eternal life." We don't even understand eternity, uh, something that doesn't die, something that goes on forever. But we have eternal life. Uh, Hebrews calls it eternal redemption. We have an eternal inheritance. Something that's eternal, eternal can't be touched by something that's natural. I mean, that that, that can uh, you can chew on that for a little while, you know. uh... Something that's eternal can't be affected by something that's natural. The eternal God created natural. The natural can't affect the eternal. Nobody can take my salvation. No one can touch it. No one can touch my spirit, man. They can touch my flesh. They can hurt me physically, emotionally, psychologically, but they can't touch my spirit. And it's eternal. And I have an eternal redemption. I have an eternal inheritance. I have an eternal relationship with God. And that's what this chapter is about. Your relationship is eternal. David?
1: Yes, I just wanted to piggyback um, with, uh, on what Dave just shared as well as Andrew uh, ended this chapter with Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels Nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to me, it's pretty amazing that, you know, Andrew talks about the security of the the believer, and then he goes into uh, our relationship with God, if we do sin, you know, what happens, that the quality of our fellowship with God is what is affected, not our relationship. Um, God keeps that intact. Um, but what what really hits me every time is the love of God in all of this. You know, He yes, we can. There's so many points in this short little section about that we have the freedom and the boldness to come to the throne room of God and come to him and talk with him. You know, Dave quoted the verse um, in in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You know, a lot of people think this is a silly example, but to me, it's very powerful. Um, if you've ever watched the old musical, King and I, um, with uh, Yul Brenner I think it is, and Deborah Carr, Kerr, Kerr, whatever her name is, there's a scene where he introduces uh, her to his children. This is the king. And he has like, I don't know how many kids. There's like a 100 maybe. And they're all coming in, and she's like, you know, proper in English, and they're used to, you know, one husband, one wife, and he's introducing all these kids, and there's this one child that sees her daddy, and she doesn't see him as the king, this important, you know, king who's over this country and has all this authority, all she knows him as, that's my daddy, that's my Abba. And so when she comes in, she runs and gets a hug from him. And, and he's, you know, trying to be very, you know, proper and, and you know, show off. Uh, but the child is like, I don't care if you're king or not. You're my daddy. I know you're my daddy. And that's kind of like God's response to us. You know, we, we don't have to come in all grovelly at his feet. God, can you please, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know if I can come before you. I'm not holy enough. But Jesus's blood not only made us holy, but but made us uh, children of God. And it God's nature. If, if you if you really listen to what Andrew's saying here, what we've shared the last few weeks, uh, if you have time to listen to Dave's messages on uh, God's God revealed and is talking about the the seven he's. Uh, shared about the seven redemptive, redemptive names of God and it's really they all the Holy Spirit led it to all work out so they they go together. But when we really know god's nature and what he did for us on the cross, you know Dave spoke about how precious jesus's blood is. I mean when you think how priceless it is to pay for all of our sins, Past, present, and future for everyone uh, who's ever lived on this earth and 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 will come uh, to live on this earth before Jesus comes back. I mean, that, that is. I mean, there there's no those there's no price value to put on Jesus's blood. It is above. Price. I mean, there is absolutely no price tag you could put on Jesus's blood. It is so uh, priceless, so uh, so rich. I mean, we we there was a verse this morning. Um, I can't remember if Dave spoke on it or or if my eye just caught on it as I'm, tr- I'm turning to the verse that he was telling us to turn to. But it, it was saying how how God's mercy, how rich is God's mercy and God's mercy and love. You can't put a price tag on it. And God, God's saying, I don't care if you mess up. I don't care how you mess up. I don't care how bad you mess up. I still love you. You know, even Paul in Ephesians 3, his prayer is that we would know the height and depth and width and breadth of God's love for us. Because when you know someone loves you, you know, you feel like you, you're like Superman almost and you can leap tall buildings and and you can uh, triumph in life. And that's what, what John and Paul uh, are saying in the verses we just read. This is what Dave's trying to get across in his messages. This is what Andrew's trying to get across on. Um, we have a pastor friend who speaks on the amazing love of God because it truly is amazing and all of this ties into how much God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the only sacrifice that could have paid for all of us the only sacrifice that could have taken away our sins the only sacrifice that could restore a relationship with God
0: you know a lot of people can to a certain point believe that God loves everybody but work was essential is that you need to know that God loves you and that's one thing I pastor friend, Pastor Samuel, who really tries to get across, is yes, it's true that God loves the world. But he wants you God he wants you to know he wants you to know how much He God loves you. You need to have that revelation. And because everything stems from that revelation. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. So he can have a, and he died for you because he wanted to have a relationship with you. That's why he, he loved you so much. You were that important to God. He wanted, He's so bad wanted a relationship with you that he died for you. He went all the way out. He made the first move. You never, you didn't initiate the relationship, he did. And even when you met, and, 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 and just think about this if the God, the God. While you were still a sinner, wanted nothing to do with God, before you were even born, he went out of the way to die for you so he could have a relationship with you. He went through all that trouble, all that effort, and now that you make a mess up, you just lose your salvation? That doesn't add up. God's not that unmerciful. You have, like we were studying last week, you have to purposefully reject God with such a vigor, with such a hatred. And if you are wondering if you if you lost your salvation or not, and you're troubled by that, that tells me you don't hate God. <laughs> if you hated God, you wouldn't care if you lost your relationship. You, would, you wouldn't want a relationship with God. See, a reprobate, maybe we were talking about last week, is someone who hates God. But someone who's concerned whether they lost their salvation is not a reprobate, just the fact that they're concerned. it <laughs> so, but, uh, but God went out of his way to... To die for you because you want a relationship, and now that you have a mess up, and that's not love. You know, one, if one of us has a bad day and we just call off the relationship because they had a bad day, or a bad week, or maybe even a bad month, God forbid, a bad year, you know, love suffers. There's long suffering. There's, uh, God is not that fragile. Our relationship shouldn't be that fragile. You know, other friendships, I could talk about the same thing. It shouldn't be that fragile. Agape uh, love should be, shouldn't be that fragile. We have a sign you probably can't see in the video, but mercy reigns in this house. How could we even say such a thing? Because we understand his mercy towards us. And uh, see, now I'm tying this into the, the nature of God because God's a merciful God. He's a loving God. And God's not so fragile that he's going to cut off the relationship because you messed up. That's not. That's not a good God. That's not a merciful God. God, he, 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 you know, even a good parent who, I mean, would you cut off your relationship with your kids because they, 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 disobeyed you? No, but you, as a good parent, you would discipline them. And there is discipline. There is chastising, but you don't cut off the relationship. You don't disown them from the family uh, because they, they, they messed up. That's not. That's not how it works. God doesn't disown us because we mess up. There might be some chastising, and, and most of that chastising comes from their own consequence of what we just did. <laughs> you know, and I mean, sometimes that's discipline enough. But God does discipline us, and He is going to teach us not to do the same thing. He is a good daddy. He disciplines well, uh, for our own good, but He doesn't cut off the relationship. <laughs> and so, and we need to be cleansed. We, we need to be. We need to. He disciplines us for our own good. We need to learn from Him. If we're not learning, sometimes we have to try something different. But, but the goal is not not sitting. The goal is relation. The goal. The goal has always been a relationship with God. We couldn't have a relationship with God because of sin. Christ went to the cross so we could have a relationship with God. And so now God's going to sever the relationship because because we messed up. That does not add up. That does not make sense. That's not the nature of God. God's not on a hunt to find out what's wrong with you. He's on a hunt to find out what's right with you and Jesus. Now, if there's something wrong, he does have, want to help fix it, but that's not what he's searching for. The Bible says, and I think it's in Nehemiah, uh, um, where he's, his eyes are searching, searching here and throughout to find out whose hearts are, are, are I can't even quarter it right now, but are basically faithful and true towards him. He's not looking for what's wrong. He's looking for what's right. You know, when Abraham was talking to the angels about Sodom and Gomorrah, if there'd be 50 righteous, will you not destroy the city? 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20, all the way down to 10. They weren't trying to find out who was wrong. They were trying to find 10, <coughs> down to 10 righteous people. They were on a righteous hunt, not an not a ungodly hunt. If there was 10 righteous people in that city, it wouldn't have been destroyed. He wasn't looking for unrighteous. We Unrighteousness already exists in the world. But he's not looking for unrighteousness. He's looking for whose hearts are committed towards him. He's looking for those who trust him. Because without faith it's impossible to please God. He's looking for those who trust him. Those who trust his word, trust his love. You can't trust someone if the moment you mess up they want to disown you. Who could trust someone like that? Who would want to worship and give their life to someone who your relationship with them is so fragile? The moment you mess up, they're going to sever the relationship. That's not love. That's not friendship. That's not what families do. That's not how we treat our own, especially the the, the family of God. And I mean, there's scripture, after scripture, up the scripture that tells us not to do that among one another. So why would God do something He tells us not to do? That doesn't add up either. And so, anyway, I'm trying to steer this towards the, the true nature of God. And, you see, when our theology gets, you know, Jesus said it this way, By your, your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. Some of our religious traditions and values make the word of God of no effect. Because we don't, because of our traditions, we are, don't know the nature of God. And therefore, we make it of no effect. And that's that's not healthy. That's not good. You have something
1: to Uh Just a piggyback on everything. Uh, what Dave's saying, you know, in Hebrews twelve, you know, if we're uh, if we really want to take another look at what we've just been talking about, Hebrews twelve in in verse two says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, this verse is pretty powerful. I mean, it's just one verse. I I haven't even finished the rest of the chapter or or read the whole book of of Hebrews to you. But Jesus went to the cross, endured the shame, the pain, the horrid. I mean, there's not words strong enough to describe the horridness of the cross and the, and the pain and agony he went through but it says that he, he endured this for the joy set before him that joy was to bring all of us to rel- right relationship with God he didn't want to get to heaven and sit down on the throne and say okay my job's done I, I, I accomplished what I was supposed to do I mean that's powerful in and in, in, uh, in of itself but he did that because of you he did that because he did not want to go to heaven without you
0: and i like to find it to the what I say to the joy right? yeah for,
1: who, for the joy that was set before him
0: God was a cross of joy that was set before him was the cross joyful absolutely not but it was joyful for him to go through that pain and that agony of the cross so he could have a relationship with you. You were the prize. The Bible says you are the apple of his eye. Uh, he, you you are you are precious to him. It says in Zephaniah that he dances over you with singing. Someone asked me the other day, where, where does it say of dancing over him? Well, the, if you study the, the Hebrew language, I forget the exact wording of that verse in Zephaniah but it, it, it means to dance. It means to spin. It means to... I think it, it, says, I think it actually says he rejoices over you with sinning. Well, that word rejoice in that Hebrew means to dance. It means to spin. It means to leap. And so God is dancing over you with singing You are the treasure of his eye. You know, a lot of times I teach when we think of the Bible, when we think of the gospel, when we think of the word of God, it's all about God. It's all about Jesus, and rightfully so. It's all about Him. And that's from our perspective. But from God's perspective, it's all about you. It's always been about you. God created everything, went to the cross and died for you. From God's perspective, it was always about you. It was always about us. From our perspective, it's all about Him. But from his perspective, the whole purpose of the gospel, from his perspective, is all about you. He went through everything, he's done everything, so he could have a relationship with you. From his perspective. And I don't know about you, but that's humbling. That's humbling to know that God loved me so much. That, I mean, the universe is huge, they've never found the end of their universe, it's so huge. There's stars, there's planets, <coughs> there's galaxies. We're just one galaxy of many galaxies. And of all these galaxies in the universe, and all these planets and whatnot, there's this one little planet called Earth. And on this planet, compared to compared to the the, the galaxies of galaxies, there's one there's one little speck, and it's you and it's me, in, in comparison in size. And God of this little speck. Compared to the whole universe, God died for you. That's powerful. That's the nature of God. God didn't die for Pluto. God didn't die for all these other galaxies and other other things. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all of us. He died for the whole world. But of all the things and all the Animals and species and creatures and everything, and in the world, God died for mankind. You were worth dying for. Not just to die for you. He died. F- Why did He die for you? He died so He can have a relationship with you. That's the nature of God. He loves you so much. You didn't even know Him, He didn't have anything to do with Him. He created this, 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 the heavens and the earth th- thousands of years ago before you ever existed. But he had the whole plan of God was to have a relationship with you. for all, Not just between now and when you die, but for all eternity. all eternity. It will never get old. And eternal life is not just when you die and go to heaven and Jesus comes back. That will be the beginning of eternity in one aspect of it. But eternal life start, really starts when you have a relationship with God. And you have a relationship with God because of Christ. All you need to do is know Him. Hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and be saved. And you're, that that relationship with Him, that He, this God that the universe died for, is not going to be severed because of one simple mistake. You will have to, like we talked about last week, you would have to be a mature Christian to do this, to purposefully reject and hate God. But unless you are... First of all, you have to be a mature Christian. A, 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 a baby Christian couldn't do this, according to Hebrews chapter six, and and other scriptures and Romans and whatnot. You have to be a mature believer. But did they even did they even come to that point? But you have to reject God. And now, don't get me wrong. An unbeliever can be reject God too. They're, they're, uh, but what we were talking about losing salvation last week. Uh, you mm-hmm. have to be a mature believer who rejects God. Um, but. But, you know, basically, you can reject him. He will never reject you. He's died for everybody. He died for Hitler. Chances are Hitler never received Christ. So, you know, I'm never going to be the judge. I'm never going to judge whether someone's saved or not. Now, you can know them by their fruit. And I have... I I tend to believe Hitler wasn't saved. But I'm not judge. I don't know what was going on in his heart and life. I'm not someone's judge. I'm not going to pretend to be. I'm not even going to get close to that line. God's judge. But I kind of have my conclusions about certain people based on their life, based on their fruit, based on their testimony. But I do know that if you have heard the gospel, believe the gospel, receive the gospel, you are born again. I'm not on a hunt to find out if you're, saved, if you're not saved. I'm on a hunt to find out if you are. And I and that, those are the ones that we, we were talking about uh, Wednesday night about being bat, water baptized. If you, if I hear that, you, if you want to be baptized, I want to hear that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That you di- believe that he died and he rose again. And if you believe that, and not just reciting something, but I can tell that you believe that. Not that you understand everything about it, but you believe enough. And it's not, I'm not looking for, it's not a trick question test. It's just, you can, you can tell if someone believes or not, you know. Uh, and so, if they believe it, then you can be baptized. And uh, I'm not hunting to find out, find out what's wrong with your theology, per se. I'm finding out what's right with your theology. Now, as we grow, and as we, hopefully that relationship can, continues to grow and mature, we are trying, there are going to be some things that we're going to perhaps correct. If you have wrong theology. Uh, Because I love you enough to not want you to keep uh, thinking the wrong thing about who God is among other things. And so, you know, uh, and so uh, so, some of these wrong theologies have become sacred cows to people. And there's some cows that just need to be tipped over. And so, and uh, uh, and, uh, anyway, that's a whole other subject. But uh, anyway, anything you want to share? How are we doing on time?
1: got 15
0: minutes okay let's let's go ahead and uh go into chapter five and we won't get very far more likely uh but let's go ahead and uh uh get in there the title of this chapter is god's grace for the believer so the next few chapters i think we're going to get into some even more positive stuff about the true nature of god and so let's go ahead and read this first section Sherry. and uh, uh how long is it okay go ahead get started
1: God's grace for the believer. <coughs> Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new boon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Colossians two, sixteen and 17. The Old Testament was just a shadow of things that were to come. According to this passage of scripture, it was not the exact image of things the way God wanted them to be. The way he dealt with people under the Old Covenant was not his preference. Somebody may say, well then, why did he do it? Doesn't God do whatever he wants to do? I could spend a lot of time on this, but to put it in a nutshell, not everything that happens is what God wants to happen. This is because he gave mankind free will. God committed a tremendous amount... Sorry. God committed... A tremendous amount of authority to us when he gave Adam dominion over the earth. Genesis 1, 26 and 28. And man really messed up his original plan. God did not want the transgression in the Garden of Eden. God did not plan for us to go through the dark ages. God did not plan for the church to have the Spanish Inquisition or for the people who believed in God to be murdered. God did not orchestrate these events and he does not control everything that happens to us. Forces are in operation in this earth because of the place given to Satan and his human followers. And I guarantee you there have been times when God's perfect will has not manifested. God's overall will is going to manifest eventually. God is going to win this whole battle here on the earth. There's no doubt about that. If he has to raise up a donkey again to speak his word, he's going to get it done. And Jesus is going to return victoriously. But I'm saying that God uses people and people can thwart, prolong, and hinder what God wants to happen. I don't believe anyone can totally overthrow God's will from eventually happening, but people can surely hinder it. We can especially hinder His will in our own lives. His will doesn't automatically come to pass. People who believe nothing happens except what God ordains to happen get violently upset when I start preaching this. But I can't understand why they get so upset. If nobody could do anything except what God ordained, I couldn't be teaching this unless God ordained me to teach it. So the people who believe God causes everything to happen contradict themselves by telling me it is not God's will for me to teach this. The truth is that not every word said and not everything done is totally orchestrated by God because of that God was not able to manifest his perfect will under the old covenant as we see through Jesus. The old covenant was only a temporary way of dealing with mankind and it was instituted only until Jesus came. It is sad to say, but most Christians today make no clear distinction between the old way God God dealt with mankind and the new covenant way. When the Old Testament law was given, people were deceived about sin. The human race didn't recognize the depth of sin. God didn't really want to, but finally he had to say to us, Look, you need help. So he gave the Mosaic law, which showed how bad people really were. The law proved people were totally hopeless of ever achieving salvation on their own. It caused them to look totally to God for salvation and a type of Jesus' blood sacrifice on the cross was given in all the sacrifices of animals in the temple. However, as I have said before, the law itself did not reveal the true nature of God. God didn't really want to kill a person who was trying to pick up sticks on the Sabbath day. It was not his desire to destroy whole cities through Joshua, but the depths of sin in Canaan were so terrible, he was bound to enforce his perfect standard. He enforced it to the letter to show exactly how deadly sin was. Therefore, there was no way to misunderstand that sin was not acceptable to God in any form. Enforcing the law showed mankind a part of the nature of God that he was holy and no unholy thing could stand in his presence. But Jesus provided the entire and complete picture. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John one seventeen. In the New Testament, Jesus revealed the perfect nature of God. Jesus addressed a woman taken in the act of adultery, which is much worse than picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, by showing her mercy and forgiveness instead of judging and killing her. That's the true nature of God. Through Jesus, God was able to manifest himself the way he really is. Jesus brought the true ministry of God's grace, but most of us haven't renewed our minds to it. We are still trying to serve God under the system of law. God, if I do a certain number of things, then you're going to reward me and I'll get my answer.
0: Alright, um again this we're just picking up at the very beginning of this chapter we're gonna we're gonna see some more the title of this chapter is God's grace for the believer again he's still dealing with some uh, misperceptions on God's true nature but how God dealt with people in the Old Testament is differently in the New Testament and and uh that is because it was the old covenant and um, and uh like you said we needed some mankind needed help uh, and so Uh, And he had to put some boundaries on on sin Uh, to keep it at bay, so to speak, until Jesus could come and crucify him and and deal with it. Um, But, uh, you know, it's not that God wanted to be harsh in the Old Testament, but he had to be harsh towards sin until Jesus came. At the same point in time, his true nature is, like what the woman called adultery, is forgiveness. His true nature is grace. His true nature is mercy. No, it says in the book of Exodus, chapter when uh, Moses said, "Lord, unless Your presence goes with me, don't lead us on." And he said, "I want to see Your glory." And the glory of God passed before Moses, and and God as God passed before Moses, and said, Matt, "Moses saw God's backside." and God passed before Moses, and He He revealed Himself as a God of grace and mercy and. And the and, 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 uh, um of suffering. He, he, the goodness of God passed by. That's his nature. But we've missed it through all the old covenant. We missed it through uh, we still relate to the nature of God. We only see the, the law. We only see God's wrath on sin and different things in the Old Testament. And God did have wrath on sin, but that's why in the new covenant he poured it out on Jesus. Jesus changed everything. Uh, you know, God, Jesus changed everything backwards, and Jesus changed everything forward, and so uh, Jesus changed everything. We are in a new covenant. We are in a better covenant. God couldn't have that covenant in the Old Testament because of sin, because uh, because Jesus hadn't come yet. But Jesus has come, and we are in a new covenant. And how God deals with sin and and different things, and how God does what deals with mankind. It's different since the cross, since the resurrection of Jesus. Now sin is still deadly as we've been saying all along, but at the same point in time we got I got we need to see the nature of God. Um, uh, there's something else I was gonna piggyback on, but do you have something? I'm just
1: want actually that, that last bit that that Dave just said, you know, we, we need to make sure we have the right lens of seeing who God truly is, you know, when you have glasses, you know, you have the, the, a different prescription so you can see far or near, whatever you need them for. But because there is an old covenant and a new covenant, we are in the new covenant. We have Jesus. Jesus has already gone to the cross for us. So we need to see all of God's word through that lens of Jesus going to the cross for us that he died and was buried and rose again and sits at the right hand of God. We need to see everything, his love, his take on sin, his forgiveness, his mercy, everything through that lens of the cross. You know, Andrew and Dave are, are trying to, to show the difference between why it seems God was so harsh on sin in the Old Testament versus how come he seems different in the New Testament and it's It's because of that one, I can't say simple fact, because to me, going to the cross for us is not simple, but the simplicity of the gospel is that Jesus went to the cross for us. He died for us. He was buried. He rose again for us. He sits at the right hand of God. God is not harsh on sin. He dealt brutally on our sin and, and did put it all on, on Jesus for us, but it's for, for us to have a right relationship with God so that we can see sin is bad. God is good. Jesus did this for us. You know, Andrew in that one, again, in that short section, he, he talks about how we see things you know, we're seeing, we might see God as harsh, but we're forgetting. God gave man dominion in the garden. God gave man free will. Sin came into the garden, which came in, into the world. It brought curse, it, sickness, disease, lack, poverty, you know, the whole long list of stuff that came because of sin and the, the curse because of sin. But Jesus went to the cross to restore and not only give us our authority, but to restore the right relationship with God. And, you know, something that we also forget is when God says something, His word, to use the expression, is gospel truth. He says it, He cannot go back on His word. And we got to put all of that in that lens to see why was god so seeming to be harsh in the old testament but now is forgiving someone uh he's the the example of the woman caught in adultery when that seems to be a, a bigger sin than picking up sticks it's andrew and dave is, is showing us all that god is not soft on sin but his mercy and his love triumph and even Paul, in his letters, say, does this grace of Jesus give us license to sin? God forbid! That I mean, Paul is using the strongest language he knows that grace does not give us license to sin. God is harsh on sin. He brutally dealt with that at the cross on his own son. But, Andrew and Dave and... I think Dave wants to piggyback, and I hope he will, because he usually explains it better than me. But God is showing as much as sin is horrible, he's saying, I still love you. I forgive you. I dealt with sin so that I could have you in my life, so to speak. Um, uh, my mind just lost the thought I was, I was going for, but hopefully you're hearing my heart and understanding me and I don't know
0: if you want to piggyback well, that, you know God was so harsh on sin and when we say God was harsh on sin that is his grace he was so harsh on sin so he could crucify that sin through Jesus Christ so sin would be no more um, you know the Bible says that death has been an old sin in the, 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 the death has lost its sting because of God being so harsh on sin You know, there's another thing that, you know, uh, I'm not going to totally open all these doors, but at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of this section, Andrew talks about how God's not orchestrating every single event. Some people think that God, uh, nothing happens, but God wills it to happen. God's not controlling everything. God's not controlling a lot of evil going on in our world today. Um, you know, why is that so? Because God gave man dominion over there. That's a whole other teaching. And I'm going to, I think one of the next books that we're going to do, and we've done it before, is talking about the believer's authority. I think we're going to be talking about that again soon too once we're done with one of these books on Sunday or Wednesday nights. But, uh, uh, you know, we need to, we we don't understand our authority. And we have authority. God gave man authority over the earth. And, uh, through uh, through Adam and Adam gave it back to Satan. That's a whole another teaching. When um, Christ has Christ took the keys back, and so God gave man some authority. God gave man some responsibility, and he would be unjust to his own word. God honors his word against his own above his own name. He says, "We've been talking about the names of God on Sunday mornings, but God says He honors His word above His name." And so, if God says it, he'll it. I mean, God gave man dominion over the, over the things in the earth. Uh, he's not going to take that back. And so, his word, his word settles that. And so, God, God's not orchestrating everything. God's not orchestrating everything. I teach and Andrew teaches. And otherwise, we would all be teaching the same thing. And like, we've we lost the value of God's giving us a free will. But we, we, if we're led by the Spirit of God, we, we can teach and do what God perfectly wants us to teach and do.
1: And, and that's that's the thing I forgot that I wanted to piggyback on uh, with all that Andrew and Dave and I are saying. Um, and Andrew talks about uh, knowing God's will, and sometimes we miss His will because of, of sin and different things. But when we have the relationship with God, and renew our minds to His Word and what God says about everything, life, uh, sin, everything. We will know His will, because when we don't have the relationship with God, and uh, I forget how Andrew says it, how how we miss God's will because of everything going on in in, in this world. Um, yes, we can miss His will, because if if I'm And I'll just use me as an example. I have my own free will. I can make mistakes. I can sin. I can do whatever. But when I renew my mind to what God says about me, to what God says about sin, to what God says about what Jesus did for me, his new covenant with me as a believer, as I'm renewing my mind to God's word, what he says about it, then I am knowing and learning his perfect will for me. It's not God's perfect will for someone to die young. It's not God's perfect will for someone to go through something tragic. It's not his will for someone to have a crippling disease. That is because of the sin and the curse that's in this world. But if we don't renew our minds to the fact what God's perfect will is, his perfect will is Jesus went to the cross by His stripes I'm healed, that He took my sin on Him, that I would have the right relationship with God. That's His perfect will, but I need to know that.
0: Sounds good. I think we'll we'll end it on that now, Hopefully that's making sense. Uh, you know, and we'll, we'll we'll continue next week with with these thoughts. Uh, as We get to uh, talking more about the grace of God and. The grace of towards for the believer and how it relates to the nature of God. Anyway, uh, we're out of time for the night and we're going to end it here. Uh, We hope that you have a a blessed Thanksgiving this week with your families, whatnot. We will have Bible study on Wednesday, uh, so we will be on live, online, live one more time before uh, uh, Thanksgiving actually arrives. But uh, 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 anyway, for those who may not connect before then. We just we do wish you a happy Thanksgiving. We are very thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the Jesus. We're thankful for all of you, uh, even though we might not know most of you. Um, but at the same point in time, we're so thankful. And so um, you know, that's a whole another powerful teaching as well, uh, just Thanksgiving alone. And so we need to be thankful for what we have. You know, let me just say this. There might be some things you don't know, but don't get hung up about what you don't know. Don't let what you don't know rob you from what you do know. There's times to learn what you don't know. And we can work on that as we go forward. But don't let, sometimes we get hung up on what we don't know, that we don't, we don't We don't. live by what we do know. If you are born again, you are a child of God. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for your salvation. Be thankful for what you do know. The revelation that you do know. What we don't know, we'll, we'll keep working on But don't let what you don't know rob you from you do know. Be thankful for what you do know. And, uh, we don't want to make it complicated, but we also want to, to address things that need to be addressed. Uh, but anyway, we just worship you. We thank you. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we bless it. We bless every family, every individual that's represented, uh, through Live stream, whatnot. <coughs> and we speak blessing on every family, every, every individual. Hey, excuse me, in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Have a great week, and we will talk to you soon. We'll see you hopefully Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.